From Toronto, Canada, this is Cannabis Law in Canada, a podcast dedicated to exploring legal issues in the Canadian cannabis industry. Hello, I'm Russell Bennett. I'm a cannabis lawyer. I founded my own law firm, Cannabis Law Barristers and Solicitors, to protect and help entrepreneurs and small to medium-sized businesses grow in the cannabis industry. I'm also the co-author with Professor Emeritus Alan Young of Canada's Cannabis Act, which is the country's first and only annotated version of the federal law, along with some very helpful commentary. I created this podcast as a way to talk to some really incredible people in the cannabis industry and to learn more and to share this knowledge with my listeners. I started out as a lawyer and a documentary filmmaker, and with the podcast, I'm coming back to my roots of doing long-form interviews. In this episode, number four, I talked to Pete Young, who is a master grower from the old school. Originally from Long Island, New York, Pete began his journey as a cannabis grower working with Chris Clay in London, Ontario at the Great Canadian Hemporium, which later became Hemp Nation. That's where Pete earned the title of the Minister of Agriculture. After Chris Clay's trial, Pete took over the store and rebranded it as the Organic Traveler with the slogan, There's no need to panic, it's organic. Pete also founded the London Compassion Club, dedicated to providing high-quality cannabis as medicine to people at reduced rates. On the road to legalization, Pete became a master grower with Indiva, a licensed producer in Canada, and wrote a book about all of his experiences called The High Road, a pot grower's journey from the black market to the stock market. Well, hello, Pete Young, and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you uh, for having me. I'm so excited to, to have you here. Well, it's been a little while. It was nice that when I heard your name pop up in some other circles, I was like, oh, you're back in town. I didn't know that you were back in the law. Yes, and, uh, glad back to in the that law. You were back in the, uh, into the uh, movie making or the, uh, at least the cannabis industry in some sort. You know, what, um, what really started this for me was actually this, talking to people, interviewing mm-hmm. people. I just, I have a thirst for interviewing people and I really enjoy talking and hearing stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, That's a beauty about cannabis. It kind of brings out stories totally. when, you know, people don't think there are stories. Right? It, just, it, it triggers certain things. Why it's such a social so-called drug, Yes, you know, is that it, it makes people social. It does. Yeah. It does. I want to, I want to go like take a time machine with you right now. So mm-hmm. Pete, you, I met you in 1996. Yeah. Was the first time you were working at Hemp Nation. Yep. Okay. So let's go back in time. Do the time machine sound yeah. effect. Mm-hmm. And now we're back in 1996. Yep. And in 1996, when you were working um, at Hemp Nation. Yeah. Okay. So- Describe the scene for me. What was what was it like? Uh, who are the people coming in and out of the store? Uh, what was working with Chris like? Maybe even take me back to when you met Chris. Just yeah, so that whole kind of because when set we the scene met, for me. We met. It was kind of at the end of the Hemp Nation saga. Yes. Right. So I met Chris in, I guess it'd be nineteen ninety two. Okay. I was studying photography at uh, Fanshawe, right. and I was a, a cannabis enthusiast. Uh, yes. I was doing my own growing back home in New York and in Canada here, and I'd be bringing my genetics back and forth and trading, right. you know, try to do like a little, uh, you know, Johnny Appleseed along the East Coast. And, um, 
studying photography, I started taking pictures of my my plants, right. and um, and then I met Chris, and he was a uh, he actually studied photography too for a year, I think at Ryerson or something. Oh, you had that shared uh, passion. Uh, for yeah, so we had yes. we had that in in contact, and then the the cannabis thing, and then you know the breeding and the seeds. Mm. So when uh, when we weren't Hemp Nation by that at that time, we were still the Great Canadian Emporium. That and was the first name. That was the first right. yes. first shop, and uh, we started. Well, Chris started selling cannabis seeds, and we um, started the overgrow the government campaign. Basically, it was just to kind of stop supporting a black market, grow it yourself kind of mentality. Overgrow the government. Did this come from somewhere else, or did you guys think about the? Like, I think, how, where did it come from? I think Andrew, um, who was our artist at the time. Oh yeah. Uh, I think he came up with the the slogan. Nice. And there was a lot of things that you know evolved from that initial movement. That, yes. That's I always say that Chris planted the seed. Yes. And now look where we're at today. Totally. Kind of thing. Totally, so yeah. I always put certain people on pedestals. I think Chris and Hillary Black are the two people that I always say shine the light on. Alan Young, obviously, uh, Paul Bernstein, and then, um, you know, Terry Parker and Jim Wakefield and all these people that kind of, you know, laid down their lives and their safety and their uh, and finances to in a belief of what we also did. So we were kind of like the soldiers in a sense, hemp nation. So after we got after Chris got busted the first time. Um, that's when we decided, or it was decided to change from the Great Canadian Emporium into Hemp Nation. Do you want a war on drugs? Then we're willing to fight that war on drugs. We know we have, uh, reality on our side. You're, you're basing all the laws on lies. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's back up a second. So you're, 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 you're working in the store and then. I wasn't working in the store at that time. Oh, you weren't working at the time of the bus? I was a grower. Oh, the no, at the first bust, no. Okay. No, I was working there the second bust. Uh, the first bust, uh, I was just like a grower, breeder. Yes. Kind of in the shadows kind of thing. The The whole NYPD Canadian cultivator didn't come out until after the first raid. And okay. then that's when we said, well, you know, fuck this. We're, we are not laying down. And uh, Chris launched the launch Constitutional Challenge. That's when we got hooked up with Alan. And I said, well, let's start just like we need to raise money. How do we raise money? Let's start selling seeds. And let's like really push it. Let's start a menu. Let's start a whole catalog. Right. And there there was no other company in Canada at that time selling cannabis seeds. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, so we, you know, Chris was willing to put his name, life, freedom on the line. Um, they didn't come after me. So, and that's for some reason... I don't know. Maybe I'm like the Teflon of Don of the cannabis industry because every single time they just don't don't stick anything to me. Right. Well, that's very fortunate. Yeah. So far, so good. But it, it's it's interesting to me that the bust, the first bust, actually galvanized mm-hmm. you into and Chris and mm-hmm. it it it, it uh, was like the catalyst for. Yeah. It, it's you pushing know, you, the law forward. You poke the bear, you poke the bear kind of thing, right. right? So, you know, and actually I did get busted eventually under the London Compassion, when I had the London Compassion Society. And and um, and I told him that exactly. I was like, listen, right now I'm under the radar. I got, you know, I have stuff to lose. If you give me a record, I have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. And then you think Chris Clay was an issue. 
then, you know, I have all the medical people. I can start wheeling people in. This is going to be a fight that you guys are not going to want. Right. That's when the plea bargains came in. They just said, we'll drop everything, like basically down to a bare minimum, no jail time. Right. I think I was charged initially with 1.47 million worth of marijuana. What? And uh, they dropped it down to uh, possession and uh, sil- <laughs> possession of psilocybin. They did not want to see sick and dying people wheeled into the London courthouse. Wait, was Alan going to be your lawyer at that time? Or if who- we had to go further, yeah. Like I called Alan, obviously, in one of my first calls, and he, you know, he just said, find a local guy just to get you out. Right. And if you want to do a constitutional challenge, he was pretty, you know, exhausted from the first one. Yes. Um, and he couldn't do a pro bono anymore, and I understood that. And, um, and I, my biggest thing was... I don't want to see my friends and family who they also arrested, same as they did with Chris. It wasn't so much Chris. It was, you know, Sarah or Jordan, you right, know, with, right. uh, and with my myself, it was my cousin and one of my board of directors, right. you know. And what they did to them, especially my board of director, uh, Rob, um, what they did to him in the media was atrocious. And it was disgusting that I saw that they were willing to... Not so much the police, but the media. Why? Were, what was the what was the treatment like? Um, well, he's um, an openly openly gay man. Yeah. Uh, his family, including himself, has suffered from HIV and AIDS. He lost his uh, his wife and his oldest son, and his youngest son at the time was a, still a teenager was HIV positive, mm. and nobody knew it was a, the family thing. And the newspapers started blasting that, you know. And outed his son, not as as being gay, but being HIV positive and going to high school. And I just said, you know, like that is... That's low. That's, yeah, that's hitting below the belt. And that's bringing children into this fight. So that kind of changed the way I looked at it. And I think it did something with the law too. And I think the police, which were super kind to me, didn't even put me in handcuffs when I got busted. You know, they were super kind. Uh, they dropped a lot of charges because there was other substances found there. Like I was marijuana and mushrooms. That's it. That's right. all I've ever did. I, my shop was called Organic Traveler for a reason. You know, no need to panic. It's all organic was our slogan. And um, I never tried any synthetic drug before. Right. Kind of. So I was pushing, you know, the good fight, the, the fight that the police could actually kind of support, especially in London with the big, you know, influence of uh, synthetic and harder drugs, especially uh, crack and um, meth, crystal right. meth and stuff like that. It's, it's becoming an epidemic in, in our area. And the police saw what I was doing wasn't that. It just happened that I was uh, blackmailed hmm. by a um, uh, landlord's employee and she filed a complaint against me, and they, the police basically told me, we have no choice. We have to have to raid you. you. You write about this very openly in the book. Yeah. Yeah, I talk about it. Um, okay, so let, let's talk about this. something else we have in common. I, I also share your passion for photography, but I also, also wrote a book. The last 20 years has been very interesting, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's also very you, – you, your book is much more interesting than my book, I have to tell yeah. you. Mine's okay. a very boring law book. <laughs> okay. But um, why did you feel... So your your book's just for everybody can can know the book, and I'm going to put it in the show notes as well. Yeah. So they buy copies, obviously. Yeah. is called The High Road, A Pot Grower's Journey from the Black Market to the Stock Market. Yeah. Now, that's a that's a pretty incredible journey from the black market yeah. to the stock market. Yeah. What, why, uh, first of all, a couple of questions on this. Mm-hmm. Why did you want to write a book, period? You know... 
I would love to say, yeah, I always had the plan to write a book. It wasn't, it wasn't that. And like what we were saying earlier before I think we started recording is cannabis is social. It's a social so-called drug. Yeah. Um, so back, you know, through my entire um, adolescence and teenager and, and young adult, I've gathered up all these uh, stories. And we would sit around and, you know, smoking a joint and I would go into one of my stories when I lived in Switzerland or when I was working in Amsterdam or, you know, out in BC in an off-grid garden and stuff like that. And people like, you know, geez, that's great. You should write a book, you know, like, Mm. so I just heard that so many times that I was like, you know, when the time comes, when the time comes, you know, I was figured once I'm retired and I got nothing to do, then I'll try to do like a memoir or something. Right. Um, And then with... um, the legalization on the uh, on the horizon uh and they started allowing lps licensed producers um which meant big money came in and i got uh uh picked or harvested i guess you could say to be one of the co-founders of uh, an lp here in uh actually in london ontario that had the money to fund the book ah nice so i said you know what maybe it is time to do this you know it also kind of gave us a kind of a loophole for marketing and stuff like that yes but it just the time was right like it it wasn't the pinnacle of uh of my career or maybe it you know it could be seen as a pinnacle because i did start you know if when you look at stone the hemp nation on trial i was you know a guy trekking through the woods you know with plants in my backpack to walking down bay street going to ring the bell, being the first dreadlock to take a company public, a marijuana company public in Canadian history. It's an incredible uh, dichotomy, like variance of of mm-hmm. experience. Oh, yeah. Going from, and I'm, and I'm going to play you now a, cl- a clip from Stoned, mm-hmm. where you are walking through the forest. Yeah, you put my fucking name in there. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's no, got- wait a minute. We don't know that the guy walking through the forest is you. Well, it shows, when you look at it, it shows me putting plants in the ground, and then it says Pete Young. It does? Yeah. Let's see. That's because... Uh, hold on, hold on. Because it was on Rough Cuts. When it comes to gardening, you should have one golden rule over every other rule. The only people that need to know about your garden are people that are going to help you with the garden. That people that need to know about the garden. <laughs> now, just doing this with plants in Got the back. Canadian. That's the uh, backpack I crossed Europe in. Look at that. Look at this crazy shot of you <laughs> climbing a tree yeah and your bat your backpack is filled with good cuttings now that's uh, so great there's their pete oh no this isn't the one that was aired on the well, the one that aired on tv yes had my name because no. something oh, yes that, it, something went wrong then they, they because they, they said up. it was on rough cuts yes. and it, to be a documentary on City or C- CBC, then yes. you had to put the person's name and title. Okay, we, I know it. we because I'm going to show you the scene before this. Yeah, where we first meet you, and that is in the store, and right. it does say employee there, Pete Young employee, but I don't think it says I grower. I said it there because I think you know because I was talking about the laws, and you guys print the laws because I made a mistake on the uh, term. Like, yeah, here so this cultivation, cultivation seven years yeah. trafficking life. Right, and right. there I am cultivating. Right. On film. Exactly. So yes. a funny story with that is, uh, you know, I talked to Alan the uh, night before it aired. And oh. he's like, clean out your shop. Like, he got to preview and he's like, they're going to come. The police are coming for sure. 
oh wants to God. say hers because it's going to be national and it's kind of blowing smoke in their face. Right. And uh, so I w- went down to the shop, made sure everything was clean, go to the, the store the next day, just me working. Super dead. I was like, wow, I thought, you know, more people would maybe be coming in because it just aired last night. Yes. And finally one soul, one guy comes in and uh, he's like, do you understand? Do you know there's two cops? standing uh-huh. on your front step and they've been there for like two hours oh no and i said really i was like i didn't know i go out and uh I, you remember the location we had glass doors so i can kind of look out and there's all i could see is the back of two officers standing on my front step <sighs> and they didn't come in all they did they didn't talk to anybody they just you know because there was residents above stair- upstairs yeah People come and go, and uh, finally this guy came in. He's like, yeah, I was going to come earlier, but there was a cop sitting there. I thought you might get busted. Oh, and, no, right. And uh, I was like, son of a bitch. They just sat there and deterred customers. Right. So at that time, uh, I was selling herbal shisha. I wouldn't sell the, t- the tobacco version. Right. So I was like, son of a bitch, I'm going to go. And I roll, started rolling a whole bunch of joints. <laughs> and what I would do is I would go out into the street in front of the police and hand out free joints of herb right can't say cannabis right can't you know because even if it wasn't cannabis i'd still get charged right <clears throat> but um so i rolled i don't know it was like 10 joints or something like that got got already go outside the cops are gone <laughs> and i was just, i just wanted that so bad just uh, to be able to stand in front of them and just say tit for tat you know yeah, yeah they were being respectful they didn't come in they didn't harass me right you know there's been numerous times you know that uh, the police have come in and they had ample opportunities to really you know bend me over right and uh i don't know like again so far so good uh, maybe it's because i used to have like my first advertising that i did for organic traveler was on the lpa london police association website oh no way and i offered uh i well, think it was like 15 percent off or 20 percent off to any officer <laughs> in uh in ontario or in canada that's bold yeah it was pretty interesting they gave me a plaque like a little like certificate and the whole bit i hung it up in my shop oh my gosh that's so funny so they were you know it was just way of having fun uh and let them know like you know cannabis this is what cannabis is cannabis isn't you know this dirty drug this is less you know it's not a bad thing i'm not going to act like i never acted like a criminal and i say that in my book repeatedly is if you act like a criminal they'll treat you like a criminal right what I do with uh, my life in cannabis, I don't feel like a criminal. And I'm not going to let the laws change that. There has been this kind of cops and robbers mentality mm-hmm. towards cannabis criminals for decades. Well, you know, I mean, I mean you look ha- at, you you look you, at you, Reefer Madness. I mean, it's going to be the same thing. Like, it's just they, it's so taboo and it's, it, and it's built on um fabrication it's built on propaganda yes right and there was for a little while that i started you know when i especially when i started london compassion tried the reverse um propaganda right right? and i released statements saying cannabis cures the blind right (laughs) and they were just like you can't say that i was like of course i could say that they're like you're lying and it's like no i'm not Hmm. i say what does it do for glaucoma right it takes away you know that that kind of tunnel vision it opens up the uh peripheral right so what do they call that if you can't see that, that's your blind spot hmm. well if it opens it up now the blind spot is not there anymore so it did technically cure the blind i love it you know and they would just <laughs> and they, you know the cops would shake your head or the, anybody even the media shake your head so that's not it's kind of technically true say well it's probably more true than what you read about in media about well, cannabis what, what do you think about the current 
uh, legalization, the, the, the way it's been done, the way it's mm-hmm. rolled out, and specifically just to dovetail on what you just said, the kind of handcuffs that companies have from being able to talk about what cannabis could do or, right. or is doing or, you know. Well, you know, I, uh, I took a lot of heat, one, because I'm from the old school, I say preschool, actually, of the nice. cannabis industry. Um, and then they're like, oh, you sold out, you joined an LP. Mm-hmm. I said, no. I didn't join an LP. I helped create an LP that is going to do something different than the larger, you know, the canopoly, as I would call okay. uh, the uh, some of the big LPs. What what is that something different? How, how it is was it different? Bo- it was supposed to be based on you know ethics. It's supposed to be you know um, the evolution of the cannabis movement. Movement. So you know you can bitch all you want about it. But if you're standing on the on the sidelines or on the shoreline and you're screaming at a boat because you don't like the direction it's going, well, get the fuck on the boat and steer it. Right. Make your way up high enough that you're the captain of that boat. And that's what I ended up doing with Indiva was I became the captain. I was the spokesperson. It was my life, nice. you know, and our slogan was our roots run deep. There's no other LP had roots. And if they did have roots... Like Bedrocan had Hillary, which in, uh, that canopy enveloped, you know, they at the time were just, you know, sh- she wasn't being used. Right. And she is, you know, that's the that's the queen of cannabis, the queen totally. of compassion. Like, yes, they could have really used they she's doing phenomenal, great things uh, within that company. Yes. And I think they're going to kind of, you know, use her a little bit more, hopefully, or let her be heard a little bit further or louder. Um, but the, you know, legalization for me meant that it's the evolution. Like this is something, it's just, it's the path, you know, we didn't, we don't, it's not going to lay out the exactly way that we wanted, Right. but did legalization work? Hell yeah, it worked. It worked fucking awesome in a sense that you're not going to go to jail for smoking pot. My friend, my friend, legalization doesn't mean anything about money. It means keeping our friends and family out of jail. Yes. And being prosecuted for enjoying a plant. Right. Right. So in that case, uh, legalization is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. In the fact that they built it around, you know, large industry being able to really kind of control it, especially when it came to the retail market in uh, Ontario, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of disgusting. You know, it's a, they really did drop the ball and it's showing. Right. Right. Like, and like I said, I want to do a new article and hopefully it will come out soon called Karma and Cannabis because there is karma. And I say that in my book. If you prostitute this plant yes. like these companies are doing, it's not going to be kind to you. It's not, it's the same as the sex work. You know, if, you know, if you you beat up hookers and those hookers are not going to be, you know, uh, pleasant mm-hmm. you know they're not going to come back same as cannabis can't you don't prostitute something that you love right right so if we can get the, the you know the smaller lps and i'm looking at doing another one and just now it's no public not taking a company public keep it private keep it small keep it focused on client care keep it focused on uh quality of of product um it's not going to make us rich but it's going to you know continue in the direction, the path that we initially thought cannabis should go in and not get, um, you know, enveloped by, you know, the big wigs kind of thing that don't okay. give a fuck. So let's go back to that original um, 
development of mm-hmm. that that uh, that way of thinking, right. the compassion side of things. Right. Okay. So how mm-hmm. when uh, after Hemp Nation, uh, when Chris moved out west, yeah. So you how did how did the transition work, and how did you start and get involved with the London Compassion Society? Okay. So basically, it was two ways. So I started London Compassion back in like 95. Okay. So it was, well, Hemp Nation was still uh, in operation. Right. I was the Minister of Agriculture is what they, my title was. Since we were a nation, we all had titles, right? That's the perfect title. Yeah, I was Minister of Agriculture. I love so it. I was in charge every Sunday. I would uh, sell seeds. Yes. Um, I would t- have, you know, growers or potential growers come in, pick my brain, said the best thing about information, it's free. <laughs> you don't have to pay me. You don't. I don't have to consult. In certain cases, I would go to their places and help set up gardens, or mm. we would work on blueprints for their gardens. Um, so I saw a need more than a want starting to come in the door, and right. the need was medical users. The term medical marijuana wasn't even heard of at that point. We, we just knew that you smoke pot, and it helps with either pain or appetite or you know a lot of HIV, a lot of MS. And um, so I said, you know what? I'm a grower. I'm pretty good at it, luckily. Mm-hmm. I had uh, Chris and uh, an OG Gord kind of helping me financially run a, a small garden. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would take my portion and I would split it 50-50. So 50% would go medical, 50% would go rec. Recreation would basically go to Hemp Nation family. Right. And I'd be honest with them saying, listen, I'm charging you a certain amount which was $7 a gram. Right. And that gives me the ability to sell it to medical for half that. So all medical would only pay 350 a gram. That's amazing. Right. That, and that... It, it just made it the the middle number there it was exactly what I needed to, you know, be cover able your, to all your costs. Co- cover my costs right. and, you know, I'm not I wasn't doing it for free. I mean, it's right. uh, I need to, you know, I was able to buy a little bit of gravy nice. in in my life uh, from it. So then it was so. There's not a real difference in the product that you're selling between rec and medical. Nope. Identical. Identical. Yeah. So the the strength, the strain, the yep. and and at that time in the '90s, were you uh, creating other products from flour, or was it just um, selling flour? At the very beginning, it was just flour because okay. I was on a bike. I mean, I had a backpack filled with jars, my scale and a box of baggies. And I would ride my bike to their house and, and, nice. you know, let them pick and choose and smell and, yes. and so on. And then, uh, it started to evolve uh, a little bit more. Uh, Hillary opened up the B, what is now the B triple C S, but it was just BCC, I think back in the day. Yeah. Um, and there was a, you know, I think Dom was Starting a TCC shortly after that, I think uh, him and Warren were back in the uh, late mid late night late nineties. Right. Um, so we started seeing you know more and more people come on, and then I said we we have to start getting brick and mortar uh, location. So I brought on a, a partner, which was Lynn Herechi, who was yes. a uh, an MS client of mine. She's in the yeah, in she's Stone in as well. Yeah. And actually, yeah, because that's when we first started it. So right. and and at that around the same time is when Chris was done his trial he was given basically the ultimatum to just leave right like they just said your 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 probation is good out in bc go go to go bc, to BC get, out, yeah. get out of here right kind of thing and um basically everything they told chris as a, a head shop owner hemp nation 
that he couldn't do. He couldn't sell pipes, couldn't sell bongs, couldn't sell anything that was cannabis related. Right. Never told me I couldn't. Hmm. So he left. I kept the same address, same phone number, and I just changed the name to the Organic Traveler <laughs> and uh, started bringing all the pipes and bongs back. Nice. But now I had brick and mortar of a retail store that could cover the overhead for the London Compassion. Right. So um, it was around that time that I just, you know, at six o'clock, I would close my retail store and close the door, have a little peephole. Yes. And 6.15, the first medical client would show up. Wow. And they would, you know, file in after hours. Right. Usually from like six to eight. Right. And I would sit in the back and um, I had a door guy eventually that would let them in and out. As long as they had their membership card. Right. Then they can come in and out. Right. And uh, I started you know, taking on more and more clients because now it wasn't me on my bike riding around. It was me sitting behind a, a, on the other side of a table. Yes. You know, letting them choose and pick and, uh, and work with them because, you know, a lot of them would buy on the black market and if it didn't work, they still got stuck with it. With right. London Compassion, which we still do to this day, if it doesn't work, bring it back. We'll really? exchange it. 100% guarantee. That's fantastic. Yeah. And we got back to that same, you know, we're actually selling grams cheaper now like we have a two dollar and fifty cent gram you know for people that are on and it's it's good cannabis it's usually done in outdoor greenhouse but it's it's still genetics that we we know what they are and what they work for um and and then our top line organic as well we get organic we get what we call bioponic so we're using a soil but we use a synthetic fertilizer Okay. We do organic with a bio boost. So we do it everything organic, but we give it a little bit of a, a boost at the end. Yes. Um, but uh, again, our top dollar strain is $7. Wow. Uh, and we only have a couple at that. Everything else is six or five. Like I'd say 90% of our uh, our strains are five or six bucks. So are you like, I know the, the police aren't really interested in you. Uh, and the Living yeah, Compassion Society like, anymore, I right? Know. Because I was, I this was new... told we have a good friend in a high place, but I don't know who that friend is, but thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and this is the problem, I think, with the retail format. Yeah. Is that there is no room for medical no. retail. No. Not yet. And I mean, this is something that uh, hasn't been released yet, but it is something coming down the line that um, I'm going to be, like I said earlier, starting looking at starting another LP. Yes. Very small. Right. Uh, focus on medical. Excellent. Right. Yeah. And we will do a little bit of uh, recreational. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to do genetics that I've been growing now for over 20 years. So I know what they are. I have data collected for the last 10 to 15 years on a lot of these strains and the medical uses. Right. Meaning I can't, under the Cannabis Act, you can't say that this strain works for this medical condition. But I could say that out of the... 50 clients that suffer from the same illness or ailment use this strain as their indica and this strain as a sativa. It gives us a starting block. It's statistics. Uh, it's a great yeah. way to it's and it's a way it. kind of getting around their um, unfortunate mandated uh, restrictions. Yes, because that's the biggest you know one of the biggest fails of this uh, you know the MMPR when yes. it came out was. They didn't know enough about it, so they just decided that we're going to overregulate the shit out of this and make it so, you know, you can't grow good cannabis, you know? Do you and think it, it was in, that was intentional or was just done out of ignorance? Well, you know what? Like, it always has been, I'd like to say it's ignorance, um, 
But it seems, you know, when they came out with the MMAR, yeah. they didn't come out with the MMAR because they won, because they wanted to. They no, were forced to. Parker, yeah. And two, they wanted they were wanted to set it up to fail. Right. Right? And they were just like, they wanted them to say, okay, we let you try. It doesn't work. There's no medical value in cannabis. Right. Well, that backfired on them, you know? And then, the, you know, when they're, you know, backs got pushed against the wall, they said, okay, well, what we're going to do is open up the MMPR and we're going to let the private sector now fund it. Yes. We're not going to have to spend the money to do all the research and everything. They already spent, you know, whatever it was, $3 million on the Ladane Commission, and that was back in the 70s. You yes. know, they haven't spent a fucking dime on it since. Yeah. But now we realize it's going to take millions upon millions and tens of millions, hundreds of millions to to do what we need to to this plant to get it to where pharmaceutical you know, to get cannabis a DIN number is, you know, next to impossible. But with tech now, you, we pretty much can. But what they did was, you know, they almost set it up to fail kind of thing because they just don't know. Right. And they overregulate it so bad that um, all these LPs that were racing to the bottom, right, they weren't racing mm-hmm. for the top, the quality. They were racing to produce the cheapest gram. And to do that, they cut corners and they end up with a lot of them with PM because they wanted to do greenhouses because it was the cheapest per square foot. Right. And um, now they irradiate. I think I was 90%, just going to say 95% irradiate. Can we talk about irradiation for a second? Yeah, a little it, bit. It's something that really upsets me. Yeah. Because the public has no idea that the most LPs. has no ideas. The government has no idea? Nobody knows. Really? What research has been done on smoking, in, uh, incinerating and inhaling a, uh, a compromised mold spore, right? So right now with um, radiation, we irradiate our food. Yes. Right? Like we, we know that. Yes. We, we, Potatoes yeah, and everything. onions and spices yeah, and all that. Yeah, fruit and herb. vegetables, right? Right. But it has, so, has to have that sticker on it. That says Regardless, it's been irradiated. But what do they what do they tell you when you bring your fruit and vegetables home? What are you supposed to do with them? Wash, wash them. them. Right. Right? Why? Well, I don't fucking know. I would imagine if there's a mold spore that was killed, that you're using soap and water to wash off the carcass of that mold spore. Mm. You can't wash your fucking nugs. No. Right? You can't. So what we're doing now is we're, we're killing the spore. We understand that. But, but then you're smoking What's it. left behind- you're, in, you're inhaling it? Is- you know, I would say, for lack of better terms, it's a carcass. Is there's some, there's something there that's being left behind. It's not being wiped off. It's right. being wiped out. It's right. being killed, right. but it's not being dissolved to nothing. So the research hasn't been done on this yet, and I'm sure it can be done, but nobody's going to want to do it. Right. The private sector that has been funding this whole uh, next level of cannabis um, doesn't want to do it because it's their easy way out. They don't have to create super clean environments. They don't have to spend that extra money per square foot, you know, or which turns into extra money per gram. Yes. And then, you know, they get beat up by the OCS because they don't, like, it's it comes into a, a you know, money grab. Right. Race to the bottom. Right. right? And, uh, you know, I, I got to see some of, like, uh, some of the gardening techniques that some of these big LPs do. And yes. I was fucking appalled that not only were they harvesting moldy pot, they were adding mold to all their pot. Why? Convenience. It was easy, right? They would take 
a moldy flower yes. that has PM on it yes. and throw it through a trim pro or through a uh, their trim machines. Right. Right? Well, the next nug that didn't have any mold on it, now which it's is covered. perfect, is going through that same machine. And they would have two or three people on the other side looking at the nugs. And if it had like butter on it, it was molt, like melting, it'd get thrown out. Mm-hmm. And if it was passable, it would go in box one. If it would look great, it would go in box two. Right. Right? Which... Everything went and got irradiated. They're filling transports and irradiating the whole fucking transport at the same time, right? So, you know, Indiva was supposed to be set up. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. Yes. Because, you know, um, because, you know, again, uh, we went public and we lost, well, I lost power to do what we we said we were going to do. They started radiating. They started, you know cutting corners they started doing some you know backward shit and uh, to a point that i just said you know what like i can't support this and walked away good for you wow yeah that was that a hard decision to make uh it was it was devastating to make because you know this was something that like i said at the beginning of this you know the industry turned some of the good people you know even bad and i wouldn't say bad or just i would say ignorant that right. they uh you know they stand on their morals and they have family members that are sick and this is why I'm doing it. Then all of a sudden, you know, those people pass or things move on and money starts dictating what you do and your investors and your board of directors and all that shit get involved. And then the wrong decisions are made or the Mm -hmm. decisions are made for the wrong reason. Right. And then, you know, you end up, you know, the same as every other piece of shit LP out there. Right. Let's go back to the first time you ever thought, before you actually grew mm-hmm. a plant, the first time you ever thought about growing it, mm-hmm. and what happened to you to say, I got to just try this? Um, you know what? Basically, I started smoking pot really young. And How this young? Is, I mean, well, this is all depend. It's up for debate because I remember it. I was nine turning 10. And then my best friend that I smoked my first joint with said I was uh, 10 turning 11. Okay. Right? So, so was, around the 9, 10, 11. Yeah. yeah. Prepubescence. Oh, yeah. yeah wow. This would be before like – And it just Where happened. Where were you? You were in – I was uh, in back home in New York. In New York. Right? Okay. So – And it's and it's environmental. I mean the – You know, I was 9 or 10 and my best friend, he was a year older than me, so he was 11 or 12, and he was hanging out with a girl that was a year or so older than him, so he got 13, 14. Right. Well, that 14-year-old girl was hanging out with 15 and 16-year-old boys. Right. And they all drank and smoked, and I was just the young guinea pig, like, you know? Yeah. They, they, you know, they called me Mikey, in a sense. Give it to Mikey, he likes right. it kind of thing, right? <laughs> so I started really fairly young, Um I took my first hiatus when I was 13. Hiatus? Yeah, I stopped smoking pot. I started taking, like I was, back then I was like taking white cross, like speed pills and shit like that and right. quaaludes and uh, mescaline and stuff like that. And uh, I was just like, you know, I was co-captain lacrosse. I wrestled on an undefeated team. I was surfing, skating, and I failed gym class. And I was like, <laughs> something's not right. I failed right. every class in my midterm. And I was like, okay, got to take a break. And this is also in my book. And I had a really good friend, uh, Rob Drake, who was the sport guy. Like he was yes. had all the hot girls and cheerleaders and stuff like that. And uh, didn't drink, didn't smoke pot, didn't want that around. But 
you know, I liked hanging out with him. He, we, we were co-captains on the lacrosse, lacrosse team. He also wrestled. Um, and he just said, you know, like you can hang out. just can't be fucking high. Right. So I said, okay, well, I'll take a little hiatus. Plus I failed everything. So, <laughs> so, you know, I, I took, I took a little break and then I would just kind of go back to it. And I, I did that till I was in my, uh, thirties at 30 days minimum every year of my life. Right. Just to take a break kind right. of thing. And, uh, is this something that you, uh, does it, does it help you refocus um, or like what, yeah, it was, why it do was, you do it? I did it for a few different reasons. One, you know, I just wanted to let myself know that I'm my, I'm in charge that one, you know, nothing's going to kind of control me or have right. their, their nails into me. Um, same as with booze, like I'm um, two months without alcohol. I'm not saying I'm going to quit drinking, but right. I'm You're taking a break. 19 years without cannabis, right? Like right. other wow. than legalization day when I smoked CBD and then got slipped a fucking other joint that knocked me on my ass. Um, I want to hear more about that story. <clears throat> that's an interesting, okay. interesting story. But, uh, but okay, you got to go back. Wait a minute. You got to go back yeah, to so that first. So when I started okay. growing, yes. basically what it was is um, I moved to... Canada when I was 16 turn, turning 17. Okay. And fucking hate it. Mm. Still don't particularly like it, like it that much. I mean, it's nice. Canada is a great place to visit, but living here, yeah. too cold, yes. you know, no surf. I grew up on a little island, off Long Island. I was a surfer, skater. You got to move out west. Kind of thing. Tofino. Yeah, too cold. I don't want to wear a wetsuit okay. fucking year round. It's cold Kind there. of thing. So, yeah. um, so anyways, you know, I was, uh, you know, still, I was back smoking pot. And we would go, I would move back to New York and again, being a, you know, 16 turning 17 year old guy, surfer, you know, working construction, um, still smoking pot, buying it from East Rock, uh, Far Rockaway, which is a mistake in the book. It says East Rockaway. East Rockaway, yeah. It's Far Rockaway. Right. That's something else I was corrected. <laughs> and uh, finding seeds in it and stuff like yes. that. And it's like, okay, well, why not? Let's just try to grow it ourselves. So Kevin, right. we call him Toast. And he's so burnt, still toast. I just <laughs> we just hung out again a couple months ago. He's fucking burnt, um, and uh, and proud of it. Some people really live up to their nickname. Oh, he just loves it. He yeah. loves being <laughs> toast. But um, and he's a, he's a grower too. He's still growing. So we okay. ended up uh, driving home from a surf spot, at Lido Beach, and um, and we passed this. Oh no, this is even prior to that. That's when I first started going indoors. I brought uh, uh, some seed j- just out of a bag or something like that, and we filled five-gallon uh, pails with dirt that we bought, dug up out of our backyard. Nice. And we planted the seed, and we put them on the, the deck. Right. Right? And then uh, um, at night, we'd bring them in. Now, his mom lived in the apartment with us periodically. She would stay there probably three nights a week or a couple nights a week. So we would like bury uh, the plants under laundry with a little fluorescent and stuff like that. Right. And then during the day, we'd take them out and we'd put them up on the uh, on the roof. Right. Which wasn't easy. It wasn't like we had ladders. We were standing on handrails and handing plants up and down. I think we only had like three or four plants. And um, so that was our first time. And we just basically did it because of like, well, we smoke pot. Yeah. Why buy it? One. And two... Uh, we have to drive over to Far Rockaway and sketchy shit, you know, 
Forget where it. you pull down a, a street that doesn't really have too many lights and then shadows come out and you buy dime bag, nickel bags are five bucks, you got five joints. Dime bags, you know, 10 bucks, 10 joints. Right. But they were full of seed and stock and me- right. it was all Mexican brickweed, which today I still think is great pot, which is a whole nother subject. Mm. But, um, you know, it just, we did it because we didn't want to uh, buy it. Right. Right. I didn't want to, you know, get Bubba, who is my buddy James, to drive over, you know, to Far Rockaway because he was the one that had a car and was big enough that he didn't care. Right. And, um, you know, pay him extra to go buy a bag of weed for us. So we just said, well, plant some seeds, throw them up on the roof and shit like that. Now, Kevin Toast, his parents were not together anymore. His dad's a cop. Oh, no. His dad is best friends with, was best friends with my dad. And one day he's like, why the fuck are you guys taking the plants off the roof and putting them inside and then back up? And we're like, (laughs) "Uh, didn't know you knew. He's like, leave them up on the fucking roof. Wow. Because if you leave them up, the sun is up there. Just go up and water them. Don't bring what? them up and down. Don't bring them up He and was down. helping you he out. Didn't, he didn't give a shit. That's he was just awesome. like, listen, he didn't want to see us go to Far Rockway either. He's right. like, well, you're going to smoke pot. You're 17-year-old kids. Right. You're smoking pot. Right. I understand that. I'd rather see you do that than sit on the boardwalk or on it's the boardwalk s- drinking beer and getting in fights and starting shit. Right? That's a you, smart dad. Yeah. It was brilliant. Right? It was just like, and the mom said the same thing. It was just like, you know. And then it started getting cooler, and we were, again, driving. this is when we were driving back from Malibu, and we'd drive by an old fridge on the side of the, the road. I'm like, fuck. Drive back, throw it in the back of my Grand Prix in the trunk, bring it back, put it in our garage, plug it in, gut, gut the whole thing, hung fluorescence, lined it with tinfoil. You know, back that day, back in those days, the Phototron was the big grow um, uh machine i guess you would call it okay. in high times right so yes. it was the first it was called the phototron it was the first uh advertisement in high times where you indoor grow and it wasn't meant for cannabis but you could grow pot in anything and cannabis is a weed right we call it weed for a reason it'll grow in anything right so we built our own out of a fridge which made sense to us because if somebody did look in the window they see a fridge you think you got beer or meat in it yes we put a lock on it right right again it's in your garage. You put a lock on it because in case you have beer, beer or meat. Right. And it uh, had a little fan blowing out. We put it in front of a window, took out the pane of glass so it would blow the stinky air outside. Right. Unless you look behind, you'd hear a fridge humming. It all made perfect sense. So we tried to grow pot there. Probably got into like the fourth week of flower and that was long enough and smoked it. <laughs> didn't really know much back in the right. you know back yeah. in the 80s kind of thing so you know that was the evolution the whole time was we're not selling any of it we yes. don't care about selling it we just want to grow it ourselves right uh as soon as we got into hid light lighting uh a little 400 watt in a closet with mylar and rock wool and stuff we started getting a little bit more sophisticated into uh, different genetics, you know, we would see the different strains. We knew we couldn't grow the Mexican brickweed seed because it just wouldn't flower in time and it'd be too large and lanky. Yeah. So we would, we started looking for, you know, other genetics, more of the Afghani strains and stuff like that, that um, we didn't know anything about them other than they grew shorter and bushier. Right. And we liked that kind of thing. And the, the, the stone that we got off that, we got, we literally got stoned. We didn't get high kind right. of thing, which that's when I started that's when I started getting a little more serious about uh, seed selection and genetics because I didn't want to get stoned. 
Right. You know, I don't mind getting stoned at the end of the day, but I like, I wanted to smoke pretty much throughout the day. Yes. And I wanted that sativa. I want that high. I want right. a fucking cerebral. I want to be able to work. I want to be able to do shit. I want to go surf and skate and do all this stuff. Right. So we ended up, um, I started kind of, you know, doing my, my own thing. Then coming up to Canada, you know, um, in the early 2000s um, is, uh, is when I met, uh, no, yeah. In the early 2000s is when I really started looking at genetics and bringing in genetics from overseas and talking with people and breeding right. kind of thing. So, you know, it would probably be the first breeding program I think we did was like early, would have been mid 90s, like 94 with Chris. And then by early 2000s, I was really uh, making some significant, decent genetics. So were you, did you have a coach? Did you have a tutor or somebody to no, help you or just books. learning, learning yeah, while you're gone? books. Books. So yeah. what, what are some of the books the, that you would have Well, well we were talking read. about Grow Your Own Stone, which is Doc Sumac. Right? Yes. Roddy Heading. Yes. Uh, great guy. Horrible book. Um, <laughs> didn't, did like, I was like, he drew pictures and, but it just inspired us, right? And yes. then there was a book, I wouldn't call it a book, it was a booklet called How to Grow Extraordinary Marijuana. Nice. And it had okay. like these different formulas to make your own nutrients and it was like these chemicals and stuff and then right. was like so you know and then you know ed came out with his books george came out with his books mm -hmm. um i didn't like ed's books i did like george's books i got to become friends with george ed doesn't like me um <laughs> and that's another story um and why doesn't he like you well i kind of took a took his job um, in Switzerland when I worked in Switzerland. So ah. he was, he worked with this company, Mr. Hemp. It was, uh, uh, Breeder Steve from Spice of Life Seed, um, and Ed Rosenthal was, um, uh, teamed up to do a grow in, um, Lugano was their indoor right. breeding. And then they, in Ticino, which is up in the mountains, they did an outdoor and they used all these old genetics that, uh, Ed, got from back in the seed bank, Amsterdam seed bank. So before Sensi seed bank, right. um, the original breeder, uh, bred these genetics and then, um, you know, things didn't work out with Ed, and, uh, they parted ways and I came in, uh, they, I was speaking in, I was speaking in Amsterdam at the cannabis cup. Um, I was a photographer for high times for years yes. and they invited me, uh, Kyle Cushman was the cultivation editor at the time and, uh, invited me to come in and be NYPD Canadian cultivator and talk about super cropping was our claim to fame, right? There was a, a technique that, uh, I was shown by some local growers here in, uh, in London of training cannabis where you can keep very low plants with high yields kind of thing. So they brought me in. They thought it was a great idea. And uh, so I did this uh, talk, and then I got introduced to this uh, Mr. Hemp Company through Steve. And by the time I got there, they let Ed go. They put me in his place, and they gave me his cell phone, which at the time I didn't really know. I just knew it was a cell phone, mm -hmm. and I was calling Canada right. all the time, right? Right ran up this bill ridiculous and i found out it was ed's phone and they were fighting <laughs> so i was like well fuck ed so i just started making long distance phone calls like crazy and right so there was i guess a little animosity um back then but i just 
you know, going to Amsterdam for the years in and years out, I don't like cocky people. Mm -hmm. I don't think cannabis warrants to be cocky. And that's what I liked about George. George isn't cocky. Down to earth. George isn't a pot grower either. Right. You know, he's a journalist. And he's phenomenal at regurgitating information. And I love how he writes his books where he basically says, you know, like his one book is like Five Easy Gardens. He went and interviewed people and just regurgitates their information and gives them credit. Right. Where Ed, you know, um, wouldn't. Mel Frank would do something similar to that. Like Ed, Mel was before all these guys. And, uh, you know, he was trying different things and doing different things. And Ed was more or less absorbing information from other people and regurgitating it as his own, where George was George. George was right. just a nice guy. Honoring just, the sources. Yeah. And right. he was, yeah, he was just basically, and he's doing good books, like The Indoor Cultivator, Closet Cultivator. Fuck, that's brilliant. I haven't read it, to be honest. Oh, it's I, just such I, great, I, like, I regret to it's say, It's outdated but I now, right. but it's not if you want to, you know, grow your own. And, yeah. you know, it, it, when I opened up uh, Organic Traveler, um, I started a whole campaign because I'm in London. It's a university town. We have UWO, we have Kings, we have Brescia, we have Fanshawe. Yes. Um, my reason coming full circle to why I started growing pot wasn't to make money, right? So I took that same mentality to my new business being Organic Traveler. And I started a campaign called Grow Your Tuition. Nice. Right? So... And I, my flyer, again, we had brilliant uh, Andrew, who was our artist, dropped these beautiful flyers, right? It was a mushroom with his, uh, his uh, gown and cap on rolling a joint of, a, <laughs> of the diploma, right? right? Nice. And I gave discounts to students, <laughs> right. right? And I would teach them, listen, don't, you're going to be in school. Money's going to be tight. Um, you're going to smoke pot, you know? Why buy it when you can grow it? So it's not to grow pot to make money and right. participate in the black market. Right. It's to take you out of the black market right. and and be self-sufficient yes. and grow what you know and know what's going in it. And it's not going to be sprayed with pesticides or anything. So it was, you know, it was a few different reasons, but mainly it was... Um, uh, oh, I gave out coupons for grow guides too. Closet cultivator was nice. the one. I was like, listen, right. closet, that's all you need. That's Don't it. fucking think you need big elaborate setups a little closet you know produces enough pot for you and your buddies to get high and never have to buy pot again so uh now that we can grow four plants yeah i mean i don't think manitoba we can grow four plants or quebec it's uh it was in the courts yeah it's still i'm not sure where it stands right now i think as of today you can you can grow four plants in in quebec so what, what how would you grow your four plants if you had so okay, I'm I'm asking a personal mm-hmm. question because I grew my fir- first four plants yeah. this year, yeah, and they had powdery mildew on them because the right. backyard is is no there's no sun. It gets right. like maybe I don't right. know three four hours of sun a day. Right. So how, what what am That's I going to do with that? Right. right? Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough okay. to do that. Right. Like um, if you're in a situation, especially like Toronto, where you don't have you know good sun, um, if you do have rooftop. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's, you know, is it... You got to get full sun. Yeah. You want to get at least, you know, four to six hours of direct sunlight. Right. You know, so a lot of people, um, if they have a small yard that only gets certain light in certain parts of the day... Yeah. Don't put your plants in the ground. Okay. Just put them in... You know, put them in big pots. Can you move them around? Oh, yeah. That's the whole point. Right. You, You move them and... 
you know, if they're if you have a concrete yard, yes. even better because then you go to Princess Auto and buy a little, you know, uh, uh, caster thing. Uh, oh, to wood, just to, to move roll them. them around. Yeah. So then you nice. just every you know you have to go out there. It's not you know simple. Yeah. But you go and you move your plants. Nice. But uh, the secret obviously is going to be to start your plants early enough. Right. You know, if you're going to start seeds outside, that's fine. You're going to do okay. You're going to, you know, but if you want to, um, you know, grow a specific strain in a specific way, then uh, start your seeds early. How early? Like what's... uh... Depends. If you're, like, I don't like feminized seeds because I don't like, I think the percentage of hermaphrodites traits will come out, especially in northern climates. Um, So if you were to start with seed, I would be starting in like... December. That Jane. early? Yeah. Yeah. How big are yeah. those seedlings going to be then when you put them in the It'll pots? it be any size you want, right? Oh. Because what you're going to want to do is grow it out to a certain size, take the top off so it pr- promotes lateral growth, and then sex that top so you can find out what you're growing is it's male or female. How do you sex it? Well, you put it in 12 hours of light. Oh. Right? So if you're inside, what you do is you just take a cutting. As soon as it's rooted, it can only be four inches, and then... It can go in a closet for, you know, overnight. Wake up in the morning, stick it in your fucking windowsill. Well, to be in the January, you wouldn't have enough window, enough light, natural light. So little fluorescent in the corner or something like that for 12 hours and then 12 hours of darkness. And then you just keep that cutting is cutting A came off this plant A. Right. Now, you know, that plant is female. Right. Uh, So you could probably do it a little bit sooner, but you want big plants. You don't want a... um, a plant that's going to produce two ounces, right? Right, because you want this to last you the year. Yes. You don't want to grow outside. That's right. Indoor, so train it, super crop it. You know, put it in a big pot, start bending it down, uh, get it under sufficient light, and then come May or April. Yes, if it's inside, if you're you know you're in a backyard, you can create a little greenhouse. Right, just clear plastic. You can put it out in April and let it harden off and then come may you could start giving it full exposure and then start moving it across your yard right how how much have you been able to yield from one plant i've seen two plants produce seven pounds and this past year i don't have the numbers yet but we had somebody up in you know um just outside Barry, that area, really. Yeah. Um, he used a backhoe to dig his holes. And his holes were, I think, like probably six feet by six feet by four feet deep. Added all new soil and everything. And these, and then uh, trellised them at, uh, at one point. I don't know what, we don't know what he got. But I would say at least two pounds, three pounds. So he would get probably like eight to ten pounds. From one from four plants. Now he's in the middle of a field, right? Right. He doesn't yes. have a fucking speck of shade. Yes. You know, uh, he started them. Uh, he probably put them in the ground when they were already two and a half to three feet tall, kind of thing, right? Right. And then you know, so you can add as much as you want, basically. You know. Um. Well. Uh. Okay. This is, I, I was going to, I was going to not, I was going to ask you this question. I was not going to ask you this question, mm-hmm. but I'm looking at this question on my notes here and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, you, you experienced, um, 
some tough times mm-hmm. in London. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of those tough times was getting robbed. Yeah. Can well, you, it wasn't robbed. It was home invaded, but yeah. Can you talk about what yeah, happened? Yeah, I mean, I, I put it in the book. Um, and that's the reason I'm asking. I yeah, wouldn't I ask us I know. Otherwise. Well, this is the thing is people just like, it was fun. Another funny story, we'll get to that in a second, was after my book came out, the, I got a phone call from my wife and she's like, you got to come home. I'm just like, why? She's like, I'm not talking over the phone. Come home now. I was like, okay, something's wrong. Fucking drop what I was doing, race home. And I was like, what's up? She's like, I just read your book. And I was like, yeah. She's like, you said this, this, and this. I was like, you made me come home for this. I was like, it's on Amazon. It's a public <laughs> book. We could talk about it over the phone. Yes. Right? We don't have to be worried about it. It's not like it's a hidden secret anymore. Right. right? So I, you know, I wanted people to know that, uh, you know, the cannabis industry um, isn't, you know, all rainbows and unicorns kind yes. of thing because of the black market. Right. Um, it, it creates criminals, right? It's not the cannabis that does. It's the um, law enforcement that puts such a heavy price tag on it. Right. Right. So, you know, you see around the world that they legalize it or decriminalize it and all of a sudden, you know, youth usage lowers, crime lowers, all this stuff. So, you know, luckily we found that uh, now in in Canada. But uh, so there was certain things that, you know, we and and the home invasion was one of the uh, ones that we were kind of skeptical about putting in. But when you look at it and you get to the end of that section, you realize wasn't that bad. Right. You know, I did have a broken jaw. I did, uh, or a fractured jaw. I was bleeding out my ear. Um, I got, um, you know, the wrong people um, found out where I lived and thought I, you know, after the police are releasing in the newspaper that I had a one and a half million dollars with a pot and I'm the compassion center guy and all this, you know, they thought, well, that's an easy target. You know, he's a fucking, you look in my house, I got drums, you know, I'm fucking living the hippie mentality lifestyle. So, you know, I'm sitting in my house one night and, uh, I, my back door opens and I hear freeze police and I'm like, son of a bitch. I was like, okay, I'm legally allowed to do what I'm doing. I have a legal grow medical garden. Like put it, like I put my hands up and uh, I'm just like, guys, I got my paperwork in line. Don't, you know, everything's good. And this six foot six, 280 pound black guy fucking charges me, tackles me. Right. And he's telling me to shut the fuck up. He's calling me the N word. uh, And he kept saying, where's the money? Where's the guns? Where's the drugs? And I was just like, what kind of questions are that? Like, you know, and, um, and he had me on my stomach and, um, and, uh, and then he puts handcuffs on me. And I was just like, I was like, can I see your guy's badge? And that's when I realized it wasn't handcuffs. It was zip ties. Oh, my and God. And he started, like, beating the shit out of me kind of thing. I was like, you guys aren't fucking cops kind of shit kind of thing. And uh, that, uh, and then there was another little white guy running back and forth. So I, I knew who it was. I didn't know who those guys were, but I knew who sent them because they knew right where to go in my, in my house. Wow. Kind of thing. So... They, um, uh, you know, the black guy sat on me. I don't want to say black or like 
racist around, but he kept calling me the n-word i was like dude relax man like don't we don't have to go there like this is you're doing what you have to do kind of shit like you know and i was just like i don't got guns i got drums on my wall like come on like, yeah you know where you know where the fucking so-called drugs are i don't have any money i am a non non-profit it's it's in the newspaper right yeah. like and um so they ended up uh you know clearing out what they could um i did was able to Break out of the handcuffs once, got him. Then they, you know, I, this guy's six eight, you know, outweighs me by a hundred and something pounds. Didn't have a chance, you know. Right. Then he handcuffed me in my front, and uh, and the one guy left. My uh, next thing I know, I hear my wife at the back door saying hello, hello. And uh, he got up, he looked in her way, and I just stood up and said, "Run! We're, we're being robbed! Call the police!" kind of thing so wow. she takes off i take after take off after him i'm still handcuffed he gets into my dining room area grabs a chair turns around cracks me over the head with it oh. knocked me out for a little bit i think i was out just for a few seconds and uh and then um i went to the kitchen grabbed a knife cut my restraints off ran outside and my wife's in the middle of the street with my dog waving down traffic nobody can't see any of these guys run back up and I see all the containers that had cannabis in it were sitting in my fucking backyard. So what they did was they went out into the backyard, put everything by in my laneway and went to the car that they parked around the corner to drive up and load it all up. So they didn't get anything. Oh my God. They ended up getting one digital camera, right? And uh, that was it. And oh, they got some cash too, like that 1500 bucks or something. So I was like, okay, cops are on the way. And we got, got all this. I got this fucking a bin of full of fucking pot. Uh. So I just fucking went and stashed it, and and by and then I went downstairs, you know, and tidied up the grow room because the cops are coming. I want to make sure everything my paperwork was in. Come upstairs, lock all the doors, run out, and there's fucking guns pointed at me, right? And it's just the cops are already there, right? And I was like, okay, like you know, I'm and I had a knife in my hand, right? And, uh, so again, I'm the victim, not yeah, the perpetrator. I was bleeding out of my ear. Oh. I was like, I was bleeding out of my eye and my oh nose and, God. and, uh, and you know, they just, I could hear him on the walkie talkies talking to my wife saying, you know, what does he look like? And by that time they realized I was, wasn't the person I was the victim. And, um, and yeah, so they basically got away and, uh, um, Police interviewed me, told me to take down the green light. I had a green light on the front of my house. And they said, that's probably not a good idea, you know, because I said, you're kind of targeting yourself as the pot guy when you have a green light instead of a regular white light. So whatever. It is what it is. And uh, a month to that day, they came back. The robbers? Yeah. The thieves came back. Why did they come back? Because they didn't get anything the first time. And, oh, my God. Uh, and they just thought, we'll try it again. And it was oh, month no. to the day. And it was ironic because my wife was home. I was out. She's freaked out still. Still is to this day freaked out about it. And she was like, I'm not, you have to be home. It's nighttime. It's 10 o'clock. It's the same time that they showed up. You have to be here. Right? So I was like, okay. You know, I left my car on the phone. I was out doing a consulting on a, on a garden get to my car she's freaking out race home drive by her she's like i'm not staying in the house you know i hear people outside i'm freaking out i don't know what's going on so she leaves and i had this reoccurring dream over and over right that i uh i stand up and i look out my back door and there's that big black guy you know and i was like i we had uh, mace and had a cue ball and a piece of uh uh 
the rebar is like a, uh, something I can defend myself with this time. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I lived on top of a hill. I always had this vision that I would drive up and boom, they'd be standing in my backyard. Oh my God. Sure enough, that one night pulled up, boom, who was in my headlights? Big black guy. Oh no. And I'm like, motherfucker. I gassed it, went after him. And uh, we have this all on video too because I had video cameras installed. And you see me race out and then he jumps a fence on my neighbors and runs out. And then you see me run by in my little Birkenstocks. I'm chasing this fucking big black guy. And uh, I remember seeing this one guy walk back and forth in front of the house. It looked like we were living near the university, lots of students. And um, I called the, the cops and the cops like, yeah, you know what? We already have a car on the way there. Okay. And I was like, okay. Um, I guess the neighbor saw three guys right. putting on rubber gloves standing at the corner and yeah. called the cops. So by the time I got back in my car, got on the road, started following which way they went, the cops went there. I actually blocked in some poor little old lady in a minivan because she was coming out of that street and it wasn't her. And then the cops show up. And by the end of the day, we got caught three of them. Good. And uh, one of them did just over two years. I think it did two and a half years. Good. For them, so. Wow. So again... Luckily, and, you know, the cops were good about it. You know, they could have been better, but they were, you know, because I actually had to go rep, uh, apprehend one of the guys because they were just like, we got them all. And I was like, no, there's one guy here. I bottomed out my, my car, so I broke my uh, my radiator. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go beat the shit out of this kid if you don't get here right now. And they right. finally, I actually had a neighbor go to the police with his cell phone and say, because of the dispatch wouldn't let me talk directly to the cops. Right. So, so you know, all said and done, made a good chapter in the book. And holy um, smokes, do you, do you suffer from PTSD from that? Um, no, not that. Because I, I'm, I wouldn't. I didn't even want to move that out of that house. My wife said we have to move. Right. right? They know where you live. Right. Um, I don't. She does. I don't. Right. I have post concussion syndrome because of that plus multiple other concussions. But um, no, I don't, I won't act, I won't act like a criminal yes. and I'm not going to act like a victim right. because of, uh, because of cannabis, you know, they came, they tried, they failed, you know, so what I got a bloody nose, you know. And, and a broken uh, jaw. Yeah, a fractured jaw. It was just, it wasn't, they didn't have to wire it. So it was just a fracture. Oh my God. <laughs> There's a, okay, so this, this story you've just told dovetails very nicely with the story you told 22 years ago for oh, me. Oh, yeah. You can barely Stone. understand me in this thing. Like, oh, you hear my understand. New York accent. I'm like, holy Jesus. NYPD. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, so I just want to play this clip, okay? okay. Um, this is, the, so just to set this up, this is the bust of Hemp Nation. Oh, this is when they busted Sarah. Yes. Yeah, that pissed me off. This off. is the second bust. Yeah. And at the time, well, I'll just let you guys do the talk. It's you and Bill going back and forth yeah. telling the story. When we got, the day that we got busted, the bank got robbed. There's a little bar just two doors down. One of the crackheads from there went to the Galleria Mall a block away, robbed the bank. Where'd the bank robber go? He went next door and bought rounds of beers for everybody in the uh, yeah. bar. And they blew all the money, got really wasted, left. And by the time the police got down there, he was gone and had spent all the money, so there was nothing they could do. And here we are getting busted, you know. Harass the pot smokers, but leave all the trunks and uh, bank robbers and crack addicts alone. Because marijuana seeds are much more dangerous than an armed robber waving a gun in someone's face. That's the way it is in the world. So Chris can do life. 
for selling marijuana seeds, and the armed robber gets away with armed robbery. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. And it, like, again, you know what? Like, like I said earlier, I used to advertise on the uh, LPA, right? I would have police from Windsor, Sarnia, Kitchener, Guelph yes. come in and buy pipes and bongs. So they can't buy them in their hometowns, and they use them. So they would come to London. Right? Wow. And, uh, and I ended up befriending a cop from, uh, I think he was from Sarnia. I know it was Sarnia, Windsor, from that way. And he was a cop. His dad was a cop. His uncles are detectives and stuff like that. And he said, uh, he's like, I'm going to tell you why we bust you guys. And he's like, it's very simple. It's easy math. Okay. He says uh, two things. If I'm walking down the, the street and I look down the alleyway and I see three guys, you know, four guys sitting standing in a circle, you're up to something. You're doing something. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh you're blowing it in my face. It's you're out in the obvious. Right. It's like if you're walking down the street smoking a joint, and I'm on the other side of the street, I don't know if it's a cigarette. I don't right. know if it's a joint. I'm not gonna give a fuck, right? But if you're making it easy for us, and then he said, more importantly, if I walk into that alleyway and I see three people breaking the law, mm-hmm. okay, one is injecting, one is smoking a glass pipe, and then there's some hippie smoking a joint. He's like, I make sixty grand a year, okay. I have a wife and kid at home. If you were me, who would you go after? Would you go after a guy with a needle in his hand? Probably not. Some guy that's smoking God knows what. Could be PCP. He's going to have super strength. He's going to fucking stab me with that fucking glass pipe in my eye? No. Am I going to go after some guy that's going to say, hey, dude, man, sorry. Yeah, you got me. Shit happens. Sorry, man. Like, <laughs> we're the easiest target. We, we always were the e- easiest target. Kind Path of, of least resistance. Right. And, you know, when you look at Organic Traveler and... Uh, Hemp Nation business cards, we would always put, Alan helped us write this actually, uh, n- basically your rights, yes. you know, but we put it in a in a way that is respectful, right? It says, officer, please understand, you know, I wish not to talk to you unless I'm being detained. Please let me know if I'm being detained. If not, I'd like to be on my way kind of thing. Don't be a dick. Yeah. You know, if you approach a cop, you put, I mean, if he's a dick, you be a dick. Right. Right. You show respect, but if you start off positive and friendly, cops are cops. Cops are people. You know, there's cops that hate cannabis, and it doesn't make a difference what you do. They're going to be douchebags to you. But right. a lot of them, you know, they have a hard enough job. And uh, and again, with London Compassion, you know, we don't. We're not here to blow smoke in the cops' face. We've been right. doing this. You know, um, Jesus, twenty five. I'm coming up to to. Uh, going to be 26, 27 years now, right? Like it's, uh, you know, we've, we've, I wouldn't say we flew under the, the radar. We don't advertise. We don't put a big pot leaf in our front window. We're not here to, you know, make the cops job worse yes. or harder. We're not blowing smoke in your face and I don't want them to blow smoke up my ass right? kind of thing. And, you know, they went through London about a year ago and it, it happened over like the last few years. And they would go in and a new dispensary opened. And I hate the word fucking dispensary. Like, I mean, I, don't, I shouldn't say that. I don't mind it if it's used in the proper contents. If your medical facility, a compassion center like TCC or like Calm, um, you're a compassion center. Right. You're not a dispensary. Right. right. Dispensaries sell to anybody. 
right? right? Over 18 or over 19 or, or whatever. Um, so the ones that kind of try to hide behind medical say, well, we're, we're medical, mm. right? But you're selling to anybody. Right. Like, you know, they have a doctor on Skype in the back room. Yes. No, fuck you guys, man. You're a dispensary and you're, you're a pot, you're a dealer. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that, but just don't use a medical patient as your fucking, your shield right. kind of thing. And, uh, you know, so they, they, Tasty Buds, I think it was called, it was some fat ass from, from out east, opens up a, a shop in London. And he wouldn't even have the balls to open himself. He convinced some other people to open it for him or run it as a uh, franchise. Right. Sure enough, you know, he puts a video out, say, hey, I'm coming to London. I'm going to feed, you know, we're going to flood London with the best genetics and best pot and all this. They were open four days. They got busted. Hmm. You know, the cops said, you're blowing smoke in our face. Like, fuck. Right. And they, they were just like, well, there's other people doing it. Right. And they left it. And I think it was like a month later, they, you know, they opened up right away and then they come back out and they're still being flamboyant. They're being assholes. Mm-hmm. And they came in, they busted them again. Right. And I think I was in Bermuda. So I was out overseas someplace and I get, uh, my phone blows up and I get all these uh, texts and emails these people, after they got busted, they're like, why aren't you going to bust Pete Young at the London Compassion? Mm-hmm. Like, he's still doing it. Right. And they just said no comment. Mm. I said, okay, well, fuck you guys for throwing me, you know, under, under the, the train, yeah. beca- under the bus, because you guys are fucking up. Yeah. Um, but it kind of, you know, it instilled in me, you know, that, okay, these cops respect maybe how we're doing it mm-hmm. uh, as much as why we're doing it. Right. You know? Um, we've had police come into the center, um, because, you know, we were too close to a school. We were across the street from, we were between two schools actually. Right. And, uh, the bylaw officer came in and said, you can't do what you're doing here. And I'm like, what am I doing? You don't know what I'm doing. They're like, well, you, we hear your massage therapy and, uh, and a holistic center. And like, yeah, They're like, you can't do that here. This is for real estate or a travel agent or whatever. And I was like, but there's a holistic, you know, there's a massage therapist across the road. Well, that's a different area. They're allowed to do that. And there's two cops. And they're standing in the middle of the compassion center as we're servicing people. All right. So I said, let's stand outside and talk so you don't freak out my clients. And uh, city deals with me. Everything's good. Say bye. Cops are standing there. And I was like, these guys are going to want to talk to me. So get lost kind of thing. Right. And they're like, we know what you're doing here. I was like yeah everybody knows what we're doing here kind of thing they're like well you're not allowed to do what you're doing here and that's what we're told to tell you right right and i say okay and i was like i'm not here to blow smoke in your face right you don't see signage it's like we understand we watched even when i got busted same thing why they didn't put me in handcuffs it's like we watch you you know we got the uh you want do you want to read the passage from the book about it is that is that what... no i don't know what that was. no i think that was that was a different busted i don't know if that's a, the is same the part. same bust it would be the same bust, um, but I don't know if I'm, what I mentioned in this. I can read part of it. But the, um, the officer said, you know, we watched you for a few weeks or something like that. So they were surveilling you, yeah. yeah. after the complaint, just that they have to do due right. diligence, see if, it, I mean, if I'm doing anything. And they saw everything happening. And, they, and then when I stood in front of the judge, judge said, listen, you know, you said you didn't see kids coming in and out. Yes. You just saw medical users. Right. You know, you they made numerous attempts to try to infiltrate the Compassion Center. And I'm 
98% sure I sold pot to two undercover officers mm. uh, because they had the medical cards. Right. You know, and it, this happened in Quebec, actually, because a lot of the two-wheelers were involved in the compassion centers back in the day. Yeah. And um, they were issued, I believe, uh, MMAR card carriers. Right. And they gave them to a few RCMP officers to go and infiltrate and find out what, what's going on, who's involved, is it organized crime? Right. You know, so I think we just kind of got caught up in that and they sent us to them. And, you know, at that point, I would do the interviews because this is after I got busted. I would do the interviews and confirm the doctor's information at the store. And then I would send him over to the Compassion Center because after we got busted, we had to move to a different location. And uh, they had all the paperwork. They had all the ID. They had everything. I gave him the address. I called up Compassion Center and said, listen, you know what? I guarantee these guys are cops, right? Like, But they have all their paperwork. They might be sick cops. I don't know, hmm. right? Maybe they are who they, you know, maybe they're not undercover. Maybe they're not working, but... I'm going to say 95%, 98%, they're cops. Right. And we sold them, you know, they wanted to buy more than we allow, but right. we, we had a, uh, we have a four gram a day limit. Right. Regardless. Right. I don't care, you know, what is, unless your doctor writes a note, because there's people out there that have, you know, I mean, Alice Meridian, I think she has a 150 gram a day license. Wow. Right. And that woman smokes more cannabis than anybody I've ever met in my life. <laughs> You'd have you to. Know, she's 150 phenomenal. a day. Yeah, like she's just this beautiful being <laughs> that smokes more pot than I think anybody I've ever met in my life <laughs> and needs to for her yes. medical conditions. Right. And since we stuck to, you know, our gun. So if somebody comes in and says, well, listen, I'm allowed 20 grams a day by my doctor, that's great. That's what your doctor says. I can't do that. Right. And I'm not going to do that because then it's you to, for you to use 20 grams a day, I, you know, listen, I'm not fucking a dumb doctor or a fucking cop. Right. right? Smoking 20 grams a day is not possible. You're not doing it. Right. You know, if you're making extracts and you're dabbing and you're making baked goods and stuff like that, sure, we'll sell you sweet leaf yes. and you can bake with right. it and stuff like that because you're not going to smoke it. But so we will allow up to six grams a day if your doctor writes us a note saying they, they need six grams, right? Because right? somebody can use six grams, especially if they're using it in edibles and stuff like that. Right. So with that, again, I think that goes in our favor. The police aren't dumb. You know, they're pretty, pretty smart in London, especially they got a fucking massive budget, mm -hmm. right? They got one of the biggest budgets in Canada per mm -hmm. capita. So they, they use their money and uh, I'm sure they've, um, they've tested us numerous times and we stick to our guns. Like we're not here to get rich. We're here to help people that can't help themselves. What do you think of the former police chief? Which one, Fantino? Yeah. Yeah. That Being is a, involved, it, involved. I was like, really? Really? I was like, Alethea? you come and bust us. Yes. And then now you're fucking, you sit on the board and you own a large percentage of fucking LPs. So what do you think about that? You know, cops do their jobs, right? Yeah. And I do my job. Okay. And you don't stop me from doing my job i'm not going to stop you from doing your job do i agree with what you do fuck no do you agree with what i do probably not you know but it is what it is you know i don't like the fact that certain people that were on the other side and there was a, actually an interesting story i think it was in peterborough in that area 
there was a police officer that was invested in a compassion center hmm. or a dispensary. Okay. And they found out about it. And right. they said, you can't do that. It's one or the other. He said, okay, hand it in his badge. Wow. He says, I make more money wow. selling pot right. than I do. Right. You know, and I know, and he probably had the inside that they're not probably going to come after him. Right. Right. Because it's not, you know, it's getting, you know, lighter shade. It's still dark gray. It's not black and white, but, mm -hmm. you know, dispensaries are, you know, pretty much black market. Compassion centers were a dark shade of gray. I mean, we're not legal. Right. But uh, we service legal people. Right. And, um, so you know. where, so where, how can we get that? I mean, what, what can we do, or what, what do you think is a is an answer to, to make all of this gray go away? In a sense of like, okay, we have these compassion centers, we have medical need, yeah, and they're not being serviced by the LP uh, yeah. sector, and they're not going to grow for themselves, right? And they don't want to buy from retail because that's the LP sector. So yeah. we, we're left. It's LP with sector. It's overpriced. It's garbage pot. Right. You know. Um, I think to lighten the shade of gray that we have right now, they have to license compassion centers, right. but not dispensaries. Right. Big difference, yes. right? Like just medically focused. Yeah, if you're medical and you're, you know, you do, you have your paperwork like we do. Yeah. You know, we talk to the doctors. LPs don't talk to doctors. Like right. if you, you never get any advice on genetics or uh, how it works. You know, some of these LPs are trying to. They're bullshit. You know. Uh, London Compassion calls a doctor. Right. Right. We speak to that office. Uh, we confirm stuff through faxes. You know, we put it out there. And I'm pretty sure uh, TCC does the same thing, right? They are, you know, another phenomenal organization that, you know, is shedding the proper light on the medical need mm -hmm. of cannabis in this country. Right. And, um, you know, let these companies do what they're doing. Sell the, the camera. We should test it. That's fine. But we shouldn't have to buy it from an LP because we know they're producing garbage. Right. We produce 10 times better cannabis in the MMAR and M MMPR under DGL and PPL gardens than we do f under the uh, LP. Right. right. So... To... That was a beautiful sentence of acronyms that I don't think has ever been said before, by the way. <laughs> well, I have to get used to them because I have to think about you, them. You missed actually, the, you also, and then there was one other one, the ACMPR. The yeah, very ACMPR. Yes. Right. right? No, so... you're right. It's like uh, the, 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 the products that are, the, the flower that's grown mm -hmm. from the medical designated growers or from personal um, medical grows by definition, should be of the highest quality because oh, yeah. you're yeah. using it for medicine, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I, I guess there that it, therein lies uh, the reason why they should be licensed. The growers should or the growers are licensed, but yeah. then so should the retail outlets. Yeah, and they should be again test us. Like, yeah, we're open to that because. And I was surprised actually because I don't know it was about a year or two, a couple of years ago they uh, they went and tested a whole bunch of pot from local dispensaries. Oh yeah, and I think it was like fifty percent or sixty percent passed. Wow. And right. I was like, I was surprised. I was like, wow. <laughs> I honestly didn't think that. I thought 20, 30% would pass. Right. But I was like, really? So that shows that we're regulating ourselves. Yes. Right? Yes. And, you know, when you have compassion centers that grow their own, um, as LCS does, you yes. know, basically we're not 
you know, renting spaces ourselves, we have people that have their own DGLs or PPLs and we make deals with them where, you know, you're going to donate or sell it to us at a discounted price so we can turn around and sell it at those discounted prices. And, you know, if you're a grower in the black market, we're going to give you a license so you can grow it in the the gray market. Right. And, well, I shouldn't say that. You're going to grow it in the white market because you're legally allowed to grow this amount of plants what you do with it, that client never pays for pot. That right. person that you're growing it for on our program never pays for pot, wow. right? But any excess gets doesn't make it to the street. It goes right. to the people that can't cannot grow it themselves or have people grow it for them, and they pay a discounted price. Right. And then we have uh, companies like Ontario Grow Supply and Indoor Gardener in uh, in London that they give discounts to uh, the growing uh, materials the, and equipment to people that are growing for medical, at least for the LCS right. kind of thing, right? So it's a nice little triangle that we try to build where at that top of that triangle is the client. Hmm. And uh, even you know, uh, underneath that is other clients that just can't do it themselves. If you want to grow for yourself, you get a license, say you're, you're you know, you get a chance to grow 40, 50 plants mm-hmm. of your own. How, what's the best way to grow these days? Is it uh, hydroponic? Is it soil? Yeah. Is it I like what, organics. With you fish? Know? I mean, there's so yeah, many different no. ways to grow. Yeah, now. the guppy ponics is yeah. uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it's funny because uh, Breeder Steve is mentioned in my book and uh, and uh, <clears throat> we both use the word bioponics, right? Okay. I thought I, stay, I claimed that name as my own. He says that he did. I don't know. But he called his guppy ponics um, bioponics. Okay. And I call soil using synthetic fertilizer as bioponics. Okay. It's kind of thing. So they both make sense. I think mine makes more sense than his though. But, um, you know, ideally, it's like anything. It's like, what do you want to eat? Do you mm. want to eat synthetic food that you don't know where it's from or what it's going? Or do you want to use, you know, you want to buy something that's organic and grown locally and stuff like that? So grow your cannabis the same way that you would like to see your food grown. Okay. Right? And, uh, you know, I just saw something on CBC where like eight out of 10 kids, when you ask them where their food's from, have no idea. Yeah. You know, they think, you know, cucumbers grow on trees and shit like that. Right. right. And, you know, we, we're we're getting further and further away from knowing, you know, farm to plate. Yes. So, you know, that's what the cannabis industry is right now with the LPs. You know, they don't know and they don't want to know. And this is another thing that I saw that I thought was fucking crazy is we're, we live in a world that there's cameras everywhere. Yes. Right? I, we have, I don't know, five cameras in this room alone. Right? <laughs> yes. Where are there no cameras allowed? where our food is produced, hmm. right? You cannot bring cameras into where our food is produced. Really? No. The farmers, fuck no. You can't, you try to go into like uh, any kind of poultry farm. Yeah. You're not allowed on the property. Right. You know, let alone, you know, it's like Area 51. You get too close, they come out at wow. you, right? right? So there's certain things that should be open to the public and everybody should see, but no, no. That's, uh, you know, cannabis the same th- same way. The the uh, the government does not want LPs making it public how they're doing certain things. Now, you know, they they they're saying it. They don't want it because of marketing, and you're going to uh, attract uh, younger people. 
that's kind of bullshit. It doesn't make a difference if they're 15 or 50. Right. You know, it's uh, it's still there. It's still at the store, you know. Uh, when I was 16 and I wanted to buy a case of beer, I didn't try to go and buy a case of beer. I stood outside and said, hey, buddy, buy me 20 bucks, beer, yeah. go buy me a beer exactly. kind of thing, right? Yeah. So the same thing can happen for cannabis, right? right? So, you know, it's it's knowing what you're going to do. So if it was, you know, my plants in my backyard would be organic i actually started doing um uh vegan uh formulas so it's organic and no animal byproducts in my fertilizer so no fish emulsion no bone meal no blood meals which outdoors you don't really want anyways because you're going to attract critters that are going to dig up your root balls right? right so by doing um general organics uh, and which is a formula you can just buy at any uh grow shop um gives you very clean, very tasty, you know, uh, flour, um, where you know everything that's going in it. And it's, it, you know, maybe I think it'll yield, actually, I know with certain genetics, it yields better with vegan than it does with any other fertilizer. Nice. So okay. try to, you know, cannabis, grow it the way you would grow your, you would like to grow your food. Excellent. Mm. Pete, it's been such a pleasure. Yeah, I think we covered quite a we bit we covered actually. so much ground <laughs> yeah. uh, is there of that passage do you want to read that passage um i don't know what any of the you know passages that uh i mean the only reason i ask is because i just think it's kind of cool that you wrote a book and you know it's a unique story and maybe there's something in there that you know i i don't know i thought the bust might be a good one but also um maybe uh what, how about just the opening uh, opening chapter? Uh, opening chapter gets difficult for me to read, honestly, because uh, like you know uh, what I'd like to read honestly is the uh, the what do you call that that part there? The dedication. Dedication. The dedication. Or whatever. So, okay, read the dedication. You know, because okay. this this kind of puts what this book was intended for, right? So okay. I say uh, to my parents for giving me the guidance, strength, and support to become the man I am. To my beautiful wife, Simone, for the support, the man I became. And then I put, uh, I also have to give love to all the men and women who fought before and along me for to free this beautiful plant. This book is your trophy as well. And, you know, this book was almost called, if you focus on the money, you grow shitty pot. <laughs> right? That's what it's going to be. It was going to be called the master grower. And then I thought, you know what? Like, this is a journey and it, it's not over. We're still, uh, I'm still, I'm still on this journey. And uh, I, right now I'm not happy with the, how the industry has enveloped the movement, which has beat me down in a sense that I don't want to do anything with cannabis right now. And uh, I'm fighting with myself to get back into it because I have a lot of people that want to support me and uh, to continue what we feel is the the proper path for cannabis whether it be recreational or medical again growing it in a way that you could see it i yes. want to build an lp that has glass walls so it's nice. we aren't hiding anything nice. we want uh, to support medical people and give it to them at a price that they can afford you know and not you know uh dictate the genetics or or the the, the price on on your health Kind of thing. So, you know, for this to be the Pacro's journey, you know, it's a, it's not saying, you know, it's not mine. It's kind of wish I wish 
everybody, like all my brothers and sisters that fought next to me, you know, from the Doc Sumacs to the Alice Meridians to, you know, Dom Kramers and the Warren Hitzigs and Hillary Blacks and Chris Clays and people out there, you know, Alan and Paul, you know, that uh, did their portion to take this plant and put it on the stock market, mm. you know. For some, that is a pinnacle. Financially, sure. You right. take a marijuana public. Yes. Right? But uh, it's not the it's not the be all and end all. There's there's still many branches in this plant and the journey that it's uh, that's unfolding. And the beautiful thing with cannabis, as I learned in my book, is you know, like I said, the home invasion, yeah, you know what? It knocked me back. It cut my top off. But what do you do with cannabis? You cut off the top, it gets bigger, it gets bushier, mm. it gets more branches, it gets more support. You know, the trunk gets gets bigger, gets stronger. Roots go further, you know. So, you know, this is the, um, you know, this is just one more step in this journey that we're, we're trying to put on paper, put on film, put on the digital world. Nice. Yeah. Such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you. Pete. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this interview with Pete Young. Pick up a copy of Pete's book, at Amazon, or I'll put a link in the show notes. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada on January 26th, 2020. The podcast engineering was done by Jeremy Benning at Treehouse. Thanks, Jeremy. And the music, beautiful piano music, was created by Albert and performed by Albert Wong. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of Cannabis Law in Canada. <laughs>